This is Inside Marketing, brought to you by Dentsu Aegis Network and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to Inside Marketing. This week, I'm joined by Neve Boyle, who's founder and managing director of the Reputations Agency. Welcome, Neve. Hi, Dave. Nice to be here. Yeah, great to have you. And first things first, how's everybody? How's uh, everybody you know? Everyone safe and well? Yes, thank goodness. Yes, uh, all our team are, are well, family well. So we've managed to escape the really tough side uh, of the pandemic. So we're very lucky. Uh, how's business going? Going all right? Are you finding it tough in, the, in these times or is yeah. it okay? Business is going fine. Um, all of the team are working from home, but they're mm-hmm. being really productive. Mm-hmm. So we're getting through a lot of work. Naturally, in this business, some of the work has fallen off because product launches, events, you know, those types of things have fallen back a little bit. But other pieces of work have come in around purpose and reputation. This is a really important time for these topics. So it's funny how it falls off one area and and comes in another. So we're busy, which is great. Yeah, I feel it myself. I'm saying, I don't, the the day finishes. I'm like, I don't know, what did I do there? Like, I didn't get done what I planned to do, but like, I'm still busy. And like, it's just, you you realize that a lot of it is just kind of unplanned work you got to do. Well, it's probably a timely one, this one, because, uh, and I, I seem to now start every week or every second week talking about this, but here I go again. It's unusual times, that's for sure. And everything changes and things are changing so quickly and so often. I think it's hard, um, to, you know, so when we're talking about COVID, we, we did one on COVID a couple of weeks ago and I thought that might be it. And it just keeps popping its head back up. But I think it's just going to be like that for a while because that's the way the world is. But today we're going to talk about trust and reputations um, and we talk about purpose marketing as well and brands with purpose. And it's probably fair to say, although these things are always really important, um, it's probably the issue with trust and you know, it's probably more important now and significant given everything that's going on and, and given how people, what people expect and consumers expect of brands now. And just say you, you wrote a great article in the Irish Times today, so I'd urge people to check that out. And we'll go into a little bit more detail because the article goes relatively quickly, as we were saying off air. So um, to kick off, can you give me a brief summary of the, the research, just the methodology, the background, how long it's been going, um, just so I understand the, the scale and the robustness of, of the findings? Absolutely. Um, so this is the Ireland RepTrack study. Um, the study we're talking about is the study we took that uh, took place at the beginning of this year, from early January to early March. Um, it's in its 11th year now, which I can't believe, but it's the largest study of reputation in Ireland. We talked to over 7,000 members of the public aged 18 to 64, and they are a representative sample of the public um, in the Republic of Ireland. So it's an enormous study. We study the reputation of over 100 organizations, and these are the largest and most visible and most important organizations in Ireland. Um, So as I said, it started, it was really the Mm -hmm. beginning of quarter one, uh, 2020. We were in field for about nine weeks just before COVID really broke. Um, And we use a really solid methodology for this. It's called the RepTrack model but it would be the gold standard in understanding reputation. It's similar, you know, it's like a business intelligence system in that it gives you so much information about how people perceive your organization across many, many facets. Uh, And you mentioned that the field work was carried out probably finishing up when we when really COVID hit home and people were kind of just gone in. I think it was around St. Patrick's Day was when we were doing a test period of work from home and then we never went back to the office. So how how has that been? Do you think COVID has had an, an influence on this? Because it probably would have been bubbling away, maybe not to any significant level in the background. People would have heard a little bit about COVID. So do you think the consumer research, do you think that was on people's mind or do you think COVID hadn't had much of an impact on that specific survey? Because I know we have a, a different one we'll talk about later on, specifically in COVID. So do you think it was an influence or? I, I don't 
don't think it influenced it really because although it was happening worldwide and we could hear about it in China, mm. the first verified case in Ireland was on the 1st of March and we were coming out of the field a few days later. And really the closures announced um, were announced around the 12th or 13th mm. of March. So I don't really think that it impacted. You know, when we were in field, actually the consumer sentiment was really buoyant. And that is reflected in the scores that we have for right. that period. Yeah. And as I say, we have a, a specific thing to talk about that was done in COVID later on, which is yes. kind of in the same territory, but really, you know, shows some interesting differences. Uh, can you give me some of the top line findings? You mentioned you've been doing it for 11 years. So has there been any changes just at a very broad level about categories at a category level, say that certain categories have really, you know, jumped up or is it pretty consistent? Do you, do you usually find the same sectors and categories performing in the same type of area? Yeah, I mean, there can be trends from year to year. The most important part of this is the emotional connection that people have with organisations. And that's based on four components. It's based on the level of trust and respect and good feeling and admiration mm -hmm. that people have for organisations. And that can change, you know, sectorally, it can change from year to year. As I said, when we first, when we took this study into field, we had a very positive economy. It was really buoyant. And we could see the impact on organization scores. The so scores went up overall right. uh, amongst the 100 companies that we studied. Um, and that's because people were just feeling good. You know, we had a strong economy amongst the strongest in yeah, the world, yeah. GDP, FDI, wages, all that was very positive. And that really helps people's confidence in organizations as well. So, you know, it, it will be a very different situation now because people won't have those confidence levels. But at that time, it was. So sectorally, the retail food sector did very, very well. They came into first place. They tend to be in and around first place, typically. So that's organizations like Lidl and Aldi and Dunn Stores, those types of organizations. Very good, strong, if not excellent reputations yeah. and very much trusted by the public. Automotive then came second. Again, that would normally be in one of the top places, and it was led by a Toyota this year. And then we had the food beverage sector coming in after that. So organizations like Bort Bia, yeah. Kerry, Kellogg's, Irish Distillers, those types. So that would be fairly standard. Um, some of the changes we saw in sectors this year, the financial services banking sector um, did develop this year. It moved from 17th position in terms of a sector up to 16th, and it right. moved up you know, about four points. And that's been a steady increase since probably 2012, 2013, when it was really at the depths yeah, of yeah. Um, depression after after the financial crisis. So the weakest sector this time around is, is sporting bodies, unfortunately. And again, you know, we can talk about that later, but it's huge picture scores. Probably, yeah, didn't come as a surprise, but we'll touch on some of that and some of the sectors. Um, the overall score is a, a reputation um, and you get one score. Just very quickly, how is that calculated? There are different component parts to that that go into building that. And is it, you know, different factors that are then weighted? And just so I can get my head around it, how is it, what's the maths behind it? Sure. Um, well, at the core is the reputation pulse score. So this is like your temperature or it's or your pulse. And it gives you a very good indication of where your reputation stands amongst your stakeholders. And that's based on trust, respect, admiration and good feeling. But we know that that's driven by seven really rational dimensions of reputation. So when people think about an organization, they're trying to make a decision about whether they're going to invest or support this company. They're thinking about their products and services, but they're also thinking about the governance of that organization. Are they fair and ethical and open and transparent? They're thinking about the workplace, citizenship, the leadership, the performance, 
and how innovative they are. So we measure all of that because that's what really pushes your reputation forward. Right. And that's really the core of the model. But out of that, we then measure, okay, so you've got a strong reputation. How is that impacting on your business outcomes okay. and on support? And we measure the propensity to support you. So we have about 100 different questions in this study. It's very, very rich. Okay, because it, it looks beautifully simplistic in the way in the deck I saw in a presentation of it, but that's the art of, of research to take the complicated and to package it up. So, And it is really interesting, as I said. So to step back just a little bit, um, it feels obvious that and intuitive that trust and reputation are really important to drive business success. And you mentioned that they are correlated. But again, we were, we were chatting. It's not always the case because you know, maybe like Facebook, not particularly well trusted at the moment, but they've huge, huge, they're doing successfully well in terms of business uh, performance. Ryanair arguably maybe didn't have huge amount of trust. They've done well. So it is important, but many, there are a couple of outliers maybe in that. So is there evidence to show a correlation between the trust scores and business success? And the work has some really interesting data on the relation between trust and the purchase intent. So can you just talk me through a little bit or how you measure the, the business success in your study? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we always, if we're measuring reputation, we will always ask the stakeholders what their propensity is to support that organization. Right. So would you purchase their products? Would you work for them? Mm -hmm. Would you welcome them into the community? Would you trust them if there was a crisis? Because every organization has, you know, has, has a crisis every now and again. Yeah. But would you trust them to do the right thing? So we do all that measurement uh, constantly, but we also use a lot of other indices. So we look at Standard & Poor's index. We look at market valuations and company valuations. We look at the propensity to accelerate sales. And we know that if you have a strong reputation, for example, the top 10 organizations globally will outperform the S&P index by about two and a half times. Right. OK. We know that globally, for every point you increase your reputation score, you increase your company value by, uh, on average, 1.9 billion. And we know it reduces the cost of capital and the cost of business and drives more investment into your organization. Mm. So there's so many reasons why it's a really good thing to have a strong reputation. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And we'll chat about purpose because it's something that I feel quite passionate about. We, we talked about last year, but we'll get to that in a moment. Um, yes. The research, amongst a lot of other things, talks about at a macro level, you know, how Irish companies do versus multinationals. And on the on the face of it, when you look at the overall score, the 67.7 versus 69.9, there's not a huge amount of difference. Multinationals performing slightly better. But when you look at the individual components, there are a few big gaps in there, like the average of averages, the kind of macro score. So is there anything interesting behind some of those constituent factors from your, that you see? Or are there any kind of major differences in some of the areas for Irish brands or things that, you know, maybe you, you think Irish brands and companies should be particularly thinking about and where they should need to really move the dial? Yeah, I think there's a lot of learning for um, Indigenous organisations. Emotionally, Indigenous organisations do have that pull with the public mm. in Ireland. There's a, a growing respect for Irish organisations. So when we look at pull, um, it seems to be stronger. But when we look at companies more rationally, there's a big gap. Only four out of the top 10 companies in our study this year were Irish companies in products and services, for example. Only two of the top 10 in leadership were Irish companies. Right. And in fact, there were no Irish Indigenous firms in the top 10 for innovation. Right. So that's, that's where great. multinationals will tend to do really, really well. The Googles, the Lidl's, the Boots. 
Um, those types of organizations, Apple, Samsung, Microsoft, they tend to take very strong top 10 positions across right. the board in those rational dimensions of reputation. So I think Irish companies could tell their story in a stronger way. They tend to focus very much on their products and services, which of course everyone wants to do because it's commercial, but they need to tell the much wider story about their company, What's their innovation like? What about their leadership team? Do they have a vision for the future? Where are they going? What are they doing around governance? And what are they doing to help society? Yeah, yeah, because that's quite interesting because obviously that's a it's a perception and, it's, and it could may or may well not be a reality that um, we're seen as not being as innovative. But then again, the, the companies you mentioned there, they're massive in terms of, you know, just and they're, a lot of them are technology companies, so they probably do score well in that area. But that's, yeah, that's a really yes. interesting point. Um, let's get into some of the facts about the individual performance. So you mentioned sporting organizations. So when I read it, it came as no surprise that the FAI were in a league of their own, rooted to the bottom of the table. There's a lot of work to do within the FAI, given the toxicity of that brand at the moment. And it's going to take a long time to rebuild that trust. The Olympics didn't do much better. Again, it won't be a surprise to people. There's been some issues there in terms of reputational damage to both of those brands. But then when you look at the at the top of the table, you see the IRFU came out, I think it was fourth overall, which is like incredible. Fourth from 100 companies. And definitely you feel it here. Rugby is overtaking football as the, you know, it's not just the on-pitch, it's the brand associations is just the aspirational values of, of that brand. GAA did quite well. So let's, um, sport was interesting, but let's look at some of the, the other findings. So financial institutions, they're, they're all quite low, with the notable exception being the credit union, as who came out pretty well and topped the bill. The question I had was like, was this a residual that they're bouncing back from, from the recession 10 years ago, or had it been up and down over the last 10, 11 years? Had they been doing really well, but now they've dropped again, or how are they trending? No, they're trending upwards. Um, the banking sector is trending upwards. It moved up about four points this year. Mm-hmm. And I mean, as we saw, credit unions came first and they're always in the top 10 on POST, which offers a lot of financial services. Yeah. Um, products came in seventh place. The remainder of the banks of the, you know, the major banks in Ireland came between 94th and 71st place overall in the study. But they've been moving steadily up every year since we started to come out of the recession. You know, remember... Right back in 2010, when we first started studying banks, Anglo-Irish had a score of 8 out of 100. So the average for banks now is 63 out of 100. They're in the average score area and they're moving solidly upwards and regaining that trust. Yeah, so it's it's probably, yeah, when you you look at it relative to just their performance in the top 100. It's a bit of work to be done, but but they had been growing. Oh, the credit union is really interesting. So why has that come out on top, do you think? Like, I understand that their position, their point of difference is, you know, they're the people's bank, if you will, the kind of not for, you know, in the community and fair, honest brokers and not big corporate banks. So but I don't see them doing an awful lot in terms of that reputation in advertising and marketing, and, may, and maybe they're not at all. But what do you think? What do you think they're doing right as a business? How do you think they're coming out? Because it's pretty impressive to come number one in that, given some of the people people you're up against. It really is. And not only did they come number one, but they received a really excellent score, which is Mm. not easy to get. So what we see with the credit unions is they're a real cornerstone of local communities. You know, when you think of it, they have 3.6 million members. So they're absolutely enormous in this country. And they exist only to serve members. So the members' savings are used to fund the loans of other members. And that's what they're for. They're not there to make a profit. They're not there to pay back shareholders. All of their members will get dividends if there are dividends. The money stays in the local community. They're run by the local community. 
And so there's great trust placed in them. And I think the trust is in the fact that they understand their local community. So there's locals, volunteers, all of that. And they understand the situations that people are in. So when they were first founded 70 or 80 years ago, mm-hmm. that's what it was all about. It was providing loans to people who weren't able to get loans possibly from the banking, banking sector at the time. And this provided a vehicle to be able to do that. Yeah, I, I think people know that about them, but I think they could make a bigger deal about that in terms of their comms and marketing. I, so I, I always lean into marketing and kind of, um, and quite a lot of this. So particularly on purpose, you'd argue marketing should stay a million miles away from it in, in some cases. Again, looking at finance, I was a little bit surprised to see the, the big consultancy firms, KPMGs, PwC, Deloitte, in the bottom quintile. Was that surprising to you or is that just me? Yeah, um, I mean, to be honest, you know, the professional services sector would not be as well known by the public. Right. So it's the least familiar sector of all the sectors we study. It's more B2B. So people are not negative at all about the professional services sector, but they just don't know an awful lot about them. Right, yeah. The person on the street, whereas the business community, from many studies I've done in this sector, would give average to strong scores, actually, to this sector, people that they're dealing with day to day. So I think it's more just the unsureness, there's neutral scores, unsure, you know, not too familiar. Yeah, I guess now you say it, it's obvious that they are not consumer-facing brands, um, so people wouldn't know. Yeah, it's a good point. Again, probably just the industry I'm in, my job, the media brands were quite interesting to me. So what what I really liked about this was you had scores for Irish brands, but it, it compared, you know, enemies within certain categories, but it also looked at the big multinationals. So there's a lot of really interesting findings in this, for me, from the media. So when you look at Facebook came out at quite low at 47.9 compared to Google, who scored high at 74.9. So that's quite opposite ends of the spectrum there. I was surprised that Apple only came in at 66.9, which isn't bad. I think 63rd, but given they're such an iconic and aspirational brand, I expected them to, to perform much, much higher. And then particularly as I'd gone through the list and I'd seen Samsung were in the top 10. So is Apple score increasing or decreasing over time or what's going on with Apple? Like, again, another incredibly successful company's market capitalization is phenomenal, but not doing so well in the RepTrack Trust reputation score. What do you think is going on? Yeah, I mean, when we started doing this study, you know, 10, 11 years ago, Apple used to come in the top three, top five, they had a really strong position. And that's probably just gone down, you know, over the years overall, although they're a very big employer in Ireland there possibly was a little disappointment with them not being able to expand. Obviously, there has been some issues around some of the technology companies and people's perception around a lack of trust yeah. and tax issues and things like that. That doesn't mean it necessarily adheres to Apple, but there are those just those perceptions out there. Now, it's still seen as a very daring brand. Right. Um, it's still taking a top 10 position in leadership and in performance and in innovation. But what I've seen with Samsung is that Samsung is coming in number one for the most creative organization that we studied, the most imaginative, the most tech savvy, and it's taking top 10 places again in leadership, performance, innovation. So it's just running past Apple yeah. um, this year, I, I believe last year as well. Right. Yeah, that's quite interesting. And again, because I'm an Apple user, so I like the brand and, um, you know, they seem to be, well, certainly talking about not being as bad as some of the other people are, you know, they're very respectful of people's data, so they say. So, yeah, I was slightly surprised about that. But um, another one, Microsoft came out in the top 10, which, you know, if this was done, the survey was done now, I'd say, yeah, absolutely, because Teams, which we're doing this on now, it works brilliantly. Corporate industry has has 
maintained, has gone on fairly uninterrupted. Like it's their products have worked really well when they've been tested during this um, work from home dynamic. But given the fact that it wasn't during COVID, I was again slightly maybe surprised to see Microsoft coming out in the, in the top 10. But yeah, I thought it's great for them. But looking at the Irish brands for a second. So again, we'll have a bit of debate about these because I think their brands are much closer to our hearts. So in INM, Independent News and Media fared pretty well if, if they look at Facebook, but less well if they look at some of the Irish brands. So they were behind Virgin Media, RTE, Communicore, the Irish Times. I think, as I mentioned, it's good to see the Irish Times score highly because firstly, they talk quite a lot about trust. It's something they externalise in marketing, but also they are a partner on this podcast. So it would have been a bit awkward if they scored really badly. So that, that was quite good. But looking at the Irish media brands for a moment. Were you surprised at any of the results? Were you surprised that Independent or RTE not scoring higher? Um, anything jump out at you has been particularly surprising? Yeah, I mean, with INM, um, they moved up seven points this year. And I think with the new owners, we would expect to see that moving upwards because what's held them back is not the quality, but it's more around, there's been a lot of stakeholder uh, issues over, over many years and disputes and wrangles and challenges. And I think people lost a bit of trust maybe right. in the brand because of the ownership. And now that has changed, I think it's going to move upwards. RTE moved up again as well this year. Certainly, people's faith in RTE did move upwards. It moved up quite substantially in terms of points. So it was really good to see. Yeah. So it moved um, 10 points, actually, this year. Irish Times moved up to 30th place. And actually, when we look at brand personalities, it came in as the most insightful brand of the 100 organizations that we studied. So I thought that was really interesting that the public would rank it as the most insightful organization. And that makes a lot of sense with the Irish Times. So... No, they seem very sensible to me. I can see an INM moving up um, in the next few years. Facebook, you know, in terms of the media brands, they faced a lot of difficult challenges and trust in the past, data protection issues, yeah. etc. Microsoft, which you mentioned, came out in the top 10. I really liked to see them coming up in the top 10, actually. And it was a really steady top 10 because they also came in the top 10 for leadership performance, but also for citizenship and for workplace. They do a lot for community. They do a lot around leadership. They have really strong leadership internationally with Satya Nutella, and they have, you know, they they really speak about the things that are important to them. And I think the C, the role of the CEO is becoming more and more important in organisations. Yeah, no, I agree with all that. We're going to just talk, get into the top quintile now, the top twenty of of the hundred brands. And it's, I don't know if it's a surprise or not, but a lot of the brands that I saw, that's what they are great brands that do things and, and in times of trouble. So they've, they've all kind of stepped up quite a lot in terms of COVID. So when I was looking at the research, I was thinking, oh yeah, they've all, I, I couldn't remove, I couldn't kind of separate COVID from it. But actually then I keep reminding myself this was actually done before that. So it's not just something that they've done in, in COVID times, but anyone that came up, a lot of the brands that came up have really stepped up at these times. So can you just run me through the top five and I suppose give me your thoughts on, on what they're doing well or how you think they've got to be in the top five in a, in a pre-COVID world? What were they doing right? Sure. Well, Lidl came into um, fifth place this year. So they moved upwards significantly. Look, they're a huge employer in Ireland. They employ 5,000 people. They have over 200 stores. They're all over the country. Um, they received really excellent scores, not only for the value of their products, which you'd expect, but also for the quality mm -hmm. of their products, because that has just moved up and up over the last number of years. But I think people really believe that they make a positive contribution to local communities and um, the work they do with Irish suppliers, not only here in Ireland, but to export Irish supplies internationally as well. They show a real commitment to their staff. They show a real commitment to mental health through Jigsaw. For many years, they supported Barrettstown hugely. 
So I think Lidl has been recognized in during COVID as well, but also yeah. pre-COVID for very steady work over many years. Yeah, and they've done quite a lot in, I like the sponsorship work they've done with GAA. I think they've, they've talked very much about community has been a good fit for them. So there was a separate piece of research, which was the, the Purpose Power Index, which was specifically carried out around times of COVID. So we'll just talk about that for a little while. Can you talk me through what, how that, is it a completely different survey, different methodology, or is it kind of along the same lines? Can you give me the bluffer's guide to how that one works? I will indeed. Um, So yes, this was the first time that we carried out a purpose power index in Ireland. And this is quite a new methodology, which our global partners, the RipTrap company, um, have designed internationally. So we launched it into Ireland in April, and it was right in the middle of COVID. Um, What we measured there was we wanted to try to get a feel for which sectors and organisations the public believed had really stood up during the pandemic. And we were keen to understand what that impact was and how important a sense of purpose was to people. So we use the new purpose power methodology. And the four key things that we looked at at the core of it are to the degree to which people believe that these organisations were improving lives, um, acting beyond profit, uh, acting for a better world and benefiting society. And that was the measurement we used. So that was really at the core. And then we asked a lot of questions about which companies do you feel are really contributing at the time, who stands out and why. And once that came out, the retailers all came out top of the pops in, in this. A lot of the retailers come out. And, and it's, you know, we call out a couple of them, but I think the retail sector has done quite a good job. So they've all done, they've all behaved quite well. And some of the you know, opening hours for elderly people. And I personally liked those ads when when there was lots of campaigns in the market, you know, and the news was quite scary. I liked those campaigns where they're kind of saying, listen, don't worry about the shelves. We'll keep the shelves stocked. You just kind of don't overbuy. And you want companies to reassure you. You wanted... You know, if you're just looking at the news, you'd be going, oh, my God, it's terrifying. And, and I better bulk buy everything. And that's just the way humans are when you just see why is everyone else buying stockpiling things? I should do that as well. So I thought they did a really good job. Can't be easy for them reducing the footfall into their stores. But I think they've done a really good job. So can you talk me through some of the the findings behind, you know, the companies that did quite well and some of the where in those four component parts that you talked about where they've done particularly well or, or um, and just things that jumped out for you, what we were maybe not surprised at, but give us a sense of what was behind the scoring. Okay, so it's just as you said, the organisations or sectors that people felt were really protecting them at this time really came out strongly. So the number one was the HSE. They mm-hmm. came out number one in the Purpose Power study. Um, people really believed that they had a hugely dedicated workforce and they were putting themselves at risk and putting uh, the public first. The HSE crisis management was really impressive to people. The fact that they were giving reliable information every day and advice to government and advice to the public. So really, the protection part was huge for HSE and their scores just were really excellent. And Garda Siakona came second, again, gently but firmly controlling movement, social distancing, supporting the elderly and the vulnerable, and really mobilised themselves really quickly to support the new needs of the community. Third was the Irish government, who again really impressed people, because despite the fact that we'd had a very contentious election only two or two and a half months before, they just came out so strongly because they demonstrated great leadership in taking proactive public health measures to control the spread of the virus. And the reassurance and the frequency and quality of the information was really great. On POST came next then, 
And I think we've all seen what Impost has done, you know, its sense of purpose to act for the common good. And it stood out in terms of its care for the elderly, the vulnerable, and really just making sure that they were taken care of and that there was someone there to meet them every day if they needed it with their parcels and letters delivered for free. So, you know, a great round out of organisations who were all seen to be putting the public first. Yeah. And do you think, so the government is quite an interesting one because, again, this may be down to when the research was done. I, I agree. I think when we came, the lack of stability around government leading into this was extraordinary. And then I thought Fine did a brilliant job. I thought they, you know, you, you really want grown-ups in charge when you've got a problem going on. And I thought they did a fantastic job. As it's gone on and on and on, I sense there's a growing sense of frustration with that. And do you think if that was, if you researched this again, went back and did a wave of, of a second dip, do you think they'd still score as highly? Because again, it's hard to know. It's just my gut reaction is people are starting to get a bit fed up a little bit, which is probably understandable because when you're locked at home and you're not allowed out, you tend to blame the policymakers. But do you think there's any, if you, if you took the research again, that they would score less less highly? You know, possibly. We're a cynical bunch in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And I suppose we feel that we've got through the worst of it now. So we're now starting to look at the economy and we need it to open up. Yeah, And there is that feeling of frustration. Although there's a great belief in what's being done, there is a growing level of frustration around, oh, hang on, but I need to, you know, I need my business going back and I need my kids back to school. And I, there's only so much teaching I can do at home. I'm, you know, I'm not paid for this. But there is a frustration. I would imagine that they would still do very well, that all five of those organisations would still do very well. Um, But as we move back into reality, things will normalise a little bit more. I mean, these were extraordinary scores that they received at the time and they received them at the time where we most needed them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we did. And I thought we we came across, I was quite proud of the leadership that we had at the time. So um, we touch on purpose for a moment because I did, I did a podcast last year on that very topic and I wrote an article in the Irish Times about it. Um, but it was about purpose marketing. So, I, I, you know, a big problem I have with a lot of it is that purpose marketing, there's, there's too much marketing and not enough purpose in it. So I just think purpose is really prevalent now. It seems to be everybody is jumping on it. I, I think purpose is brilliant. Once it is genuine and once there is um, a true precision of purpose in, in what, a, what a brand and a CEO buys into it at that level. It's not just something that is done for social media. But I really kind of hate pseudo purpose when brands just tailgate culture and jump on things for promotional benefit when they don't really act in that way. And I think quite often a lot of the, a lot of the times the marketing department are saying, hey, we will, you know, millennials care about brands with purpose purpose, we'll attach ourselves to some kind of purpose and it's not genuine. So your work really highlights that some of the things that I talked about there and talked about when it's not genuine and, and what came out on the research that I read is that it's really important that companies do first and then, you know, they act first and then they talk later and think quite often that's not what we see. So well, purpose is, is quite a polarizing thing. Some industry contributors say, oh, it's nonsense because if you're a business, your purpose is to maximize shareholder profit. And I don't agree. I think you can make a profit and be reputable and have values that are, that are you know, important for society. So can you just t- touch on the importance of purpose for a moment and let's chat about, I'd love your view on what do you think? So purpose generally, but then what do you think purpose should ever be externalized in marketing? Because there's, a, there's an argument to say, you know, don't do great things just to go out and be able to talk about them. So what's your view on purpose generally and then purpose marketing? Well, I think that organizations who have a strong sense of purpose can do it brilliantly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what what should it be? It should be inspirational. It should be forward thinking. It should be speaking to the greater impact of what your organization is trying to achieve. 
Um, but it's not always played out that well. Some organizations have a really strong sense of purpose and they activate it very strongly. Others really struggle to define their purpose. Um, they can be tone deaf to the times. Yeah. Um, they can arrive at a purpose that just doesn't resonate in any way with their stakeholders. Or they can come up with a purpose that really resonates, but then they don't activate it. They don't act on it at all uh, from their employees outwards. So there's a lot of mistakes that can be made on purpose. But if you look at organizations that have a very strong purpose, sense of purpose, look, it needs to be an engine of long-term profitability. Um, there's been loads of studies carried out to look at purpose and how the most successful organizations have a strong sense of purpose. There was a lovely article a little while ago in Harvard Business Review, putting purpose at the core of your strategy. And it looked at organizations that were growing, really high growth organizations, growing at 30% plus every year. Wouldn't we all love that? Yeah. They were actually the organizations that had a really strong sense of purpose. And they were using it to redefine um, the market, to, to really reshape their value proposition. So it was at the core of everything they did. And so every action came from that purpose. And that's really where it should be. So, yeah, and I, and I think that's the problem. I think that, so you can look at the data and you can go, companies that are doing well, that are outperforming the market, have a very strong purpose at their core. So let's be a purpose-led business. And that, that just is not the way it works. They are successful because they are that way. And they, you know, it's 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 not the other way around. I think when you start putting the, the cart before the horse or, or the, you know, the tail wagging the dog, it just doesn't work. And I find it's not genuine. It's, it's taught up in a marketing department and it's not bought into what a CEO. And that's where it falls down. So I think it's a hard one to bluff. And I think I'd much prefer companies just stayed away from it if they didn't have any real kind of sense of caring about it. But you're right, it's about, it's about it, it works to drive profit, but it's tricky. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an engine for long-term profitability. Right now, companies who are really acting to their purpose are, you know, more than probably not making a profit, but it will come. That will come later because they're going to be remembered for what they did and how they behaved and how they acted. Um, but I think if you don't have the leadership involved in the purpose and if the leadership doesn't believe in it and doesn't activate it, it's going nowhere in an organization. It absolutely needs to be with the CEO and the leadership team. The marketing, the CMO or the CCO can be the conductor, yeah. but they need an orchestra to bring this to life. Uh, that takes the whole company. You're right. And, and all the way, it can't just be you know, words on the walls and the corridors. It has to be obvious and run throughout the company. Okay, great. We've come over time again, as I tend to do a lot in these ones. Before we go, where is the, is the research that you've done? I've seen it all and read it, but is there is it available anywhere for anybody who's interested in finding out a bit more about it? Is it published anywhere or where can people go if they're interested? Yeah, there's a couple of things people can do. Um, firstly, if your company is one of the 100 that we've studied, we can do a customized report for you to show you exactly how you performed across all of those various indicators and how you performed against your peers or against your competitors. And we can show you your trends over the last number of years and give you very good strategic advice uh, and recommendations about your reputation and your purpose. Um, so just call us or email us at the Reputations Agency for that. And they're really high level reports. But if you want a summary report, if you want to have a look at what are the, what are the main highlights overall, just go to our website, thereputationsagency.ie um, forward uh, slash reptrack forward slash reports. So forward slash reptrack and forward slash reports. And you'll find the executive summary of this report in there. 
Great. And then if, if any brands want to find out more, they can contact you and get a, a detailed. We've a lot of detail. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Well, that has been great. I've learned something new again in my podcast, which is great. So um, yeah, thanks. Thanks a million for, for coming on. And I really enjoyed it. It's a great piece of research and keep it going because it's it's fascinating and it's something that I, I believe in purpose and, you know, doing the right thing. So glad, glad to see such thorough research that goes into Irish brands and, and multinationals. So, um, so thanks a million for joining me and thanks to our partners in the Irish Times Media Solutions and thanks to Andrea and Kira on sound. So Neve, thanks a million. Bye-bye. Thank you very much, Dave. Bye. This is Inside Marketing brought to you by Dentsu Aegis Network and Irish Times Media Solutions.